Hello and welcome to the BME Podcast. My name is Maurice Gordon. I'm your host today and I'm a Professor of Evidence Synthesis and Systematic Review at the University of Central Lancashire in the UK and I'm also the Chair of the BME Editorial Committee. Now, today um, I want to talk to you about the word systematic and how that fits into the work we do and the wider work in reviewing and synthesis that occurs throughout the field. Um, and I think I should give some disclaimers particularly to this uh, this topic. This is something that's been uh, a focus for discussion within BME uh, for a number of years now, and there are diverse views. So even within our organisation, there isn't necessarily uh, necessarily a unity on, on a viewpoint, and I think within the field there isn't. And so what I'm presenting today is a, a digest on some of my thoughts and the patterns that we're seeing in publications and what the implications of these are, uh, really to spark discussion. Uh, to at least get people thinking about um, ideas. Um, but it is obviously my own opinions and my own perspectives. I'm not representing a single thought or a policy of BME because of the clear acceptance that actually BME itself uh, and the wider field does not necessarily have a unified thought on this. Um, I'm not going to disclaim any more because I think really if we delve into it, you'll have a better idea what we're talking about. So, um, I work as well for Cochrane. I'm an editor for the Cochrane Inflammatory Bowel Disease Group out of Canada, and I do a lot of granted work for Cochrane. And Cochrane um, is sometimes, I think, part of the problem we're seeing, because when BME started, it was clearly aligned with a tradition of systematic review within medicine, a tradition that at the time of BME's birth by Professor Harden back in 1999 was actually a relatively young uh, 1993, the first review had been started and the collaboration published this in 1995. So we're talking about within the first few years of, of Cochrane's uh, rise to dominance now, uh, with 50 groups, 30,000 volunteers across the world producing the gold standard for evidence synthesis within healthcare and guiding practice. Um, and the first few years of BME, in the first decade really, were trying to bring together and harmonise a tradition that had value, at least those who founded BME, they perceived very clearly, and I strongly agree, has value with the nature of evidence as we find it within education and health. Uh, And to me, this is key, because systematic means something. And I've gone to Wikipedia, the fountain of all knowledge here, and I'm going to read to you the, the definition for systematic review. Systematic reviews are a type of literature review don't think that's a problem, everyone would agree with that, that collect and critically analyse multiple studies or papers using methods that are selected before to answer one or more question that is formalised, and then findings and analysing studies relating to that to answer them with a structured methodology. Full stop. At no point does that definition mention an alignment with Cochrane. At no point does it specify that this is only relevant to health, or randomised controlled trials, or any other um, specific context in which this can occur. The other thing that I think has to be noted with that definition is it doesn't mention at any point the method of evidence synthesis that systematic review is exclusively linked to. And they are really key, because I think if we delve into what that systematic gives us, what that actually means in practice, it is looking to reduce bias. It is looking to remove a bias that is absolutely categorically uh, the foundation of a traditional literature review. A literature review at no point 
is trying to be exhaustive. It may try and be complete as far as the author sees it, but exhaustive is not part of what they do. Explicit in methods is certainly not part of a literature review. Um, making sure that the findings critically appraise evidence outside of the thoughts or subjective ideas of the author, again, are not parts of a literature review. Now, this does not devalue the literature review. The literature review is fantastic. And interestingly, the literature review and the forms it takes, digests, commentaries, letters to editors, um, are very valuable in in reflecting scholarly discourse within published works. Uh, I think we're all... um, going to accept that they are the basis of reading that we enjoy and reading that shapes ideas. But that's not what a systematic review is looking to do. And Beamy, from its very core, has looked to align itself with the systematic model. All Beamy reviews require you to submit a protocol prior to publication. That protocol is your plan, and that plan is putting out a priori methods, it is describing a clearly formulated question, and is peer-reviewed to make sure that those are the case. And that enhances quality and it also reduces bias because the idea being very simply that if you start in one direction you decide to change you have to justify that change Uh, and that may sound like a very simple and unimportant thing to do actually it's absolutely vital it is so easy uh, to change direction based on what one finds and in doing so uh, fall into a, a trap of producing something that is actually guided by Uh, the direction a search takes rather than aligning itself with truth, clinical truth or um, uh, educational truth. Uh, And and we don't have to be afraid that that truth has a different look in education than it does within quantitative medical studies. It's very much easier to talk about truth when it is uh, the efficacy of drug in terms of its ability to cause remission of a certain condition. That is a uh, dichotomous outcome with very clearly defined parameters and and that's easily done. Now I know educational truth is different um, and whether we take a relativist or constructivist approach that accepts multiple lenses or conceptual frameworks or overlapping realities, uh, you know, truth will mean different things to different people in education. Nevertheless, in the same way that we would provide rigour when doing any form of study within education, using any form of qualitative methodology to be deployed, there is still rigour there, there is still a requirement for quality in terms of research methods. Um, Why is the same requirement not put in when trying to gather evidence, which in itself is qualitative in nature? And that, to me, is what the systematic offers. It offers transparency, it offers robustness, it offers reproducibility and all of those add value now why i bring this whole thing up and we're now really getting seven minutes down to a discussion is a few years ago beamy as an executive um, committee of 30 40 members decided at their annual meeting to remove as a component the word systematic from the automatic title of all reviews they produce and it was felt this was because systematic was incompatible with what BME did and the the scope and size of reviews they can take on uh, and a lot of them would not be systematic and this is something that I personally vehemently disagreed with it's something that our current chair of BME uh, would be happy in me quoting her as uh, Madalena Patricia as saying she disagreed with Um, and of course disagreement from a scholarly perspective is fine Um, it doesn't mean that our views were the ones that were selected and the general feeling in the room was that there was value in removing this Uh, and I think that was a tremendous mistake Um, because the systematic added those elements of quality assurance and and it 
communicated to the rest of the academic world that there was a rigour here. Um, and I think the reason why those who disagreed with us wanted it removed is they felt there were certain forms of reviews that were not compatible with that systematic model. Uh, and I reject that idea. Uh, they felt that reviews such as scoping reviews or narrative reviews uh, or realist reviews were not compatible with the word systematic. Um, and I come back to the definition that I just read you from Wikipedia. Um, I don't see why any of those reviews are not compatible with it. A narrative review um, can collect and critically analyse multiple research studies and should. It should use methods that are selected before. The fact that those methods may involve the formulation of inclusion and exclusion studies in a scoping review that change with time does not in any way ignore the fact that having an a priori protocol plan adds value to it. Uh, they should synthesise those results. Now, that form may not be meta-analysis. In fact, it probably won't be in a scoping review. But the very fact that you have looked to do that to answer your original scoping question adds value and is what one should be doing. And in fact, if you look at the very definitions and tables and papers that designate the scoping review, you find a very strong alignment with the tenets of systematic reviewing. And the same can be said of the narrative review. Again, if you go and look at it yourselves and you look at definitions, you look at early papers, they all align with elements of rigour, of scientific methodology that is systematic and innately positivist in its alignment and yet and yet allows you to um, not allow that positive alignment for finding evidence with rigor in the same way that any qualitative study would that collects data to interfere with the pluracy of uh, methods that can be used in synthesizing that evidence. I mean, I'm a huge believer that the narrative review is of great value, but systematically finding the contents that informs that narrative review adds quality. Uh, and, and I think the reason I wanted to talk about this now is I was randomly looking through a couple of journals I read in the field quite a lot. Uh, they are academic medicine, which is obviously at the moment got the top impact factor sitting here at 2018 in the subfield, and med medical education, which has the second highest impact factor, both very close. Um, and so looking through, I'll start with medical education because they have a specific section, medical education review. And if you look through the last three months... Uh, there. I am struggling to find any of their reviews that mention systematic in the title. There's mention of narrative review. There's mention of um, scoping review. Uh, there's mention of uh, review. But the word systematic is, is missing. And, and uh, literature review, going back into December 2017. Uh, wh why that's an issue, because, um, you know, you might argue they're simply not systematic, is when you delve into their papers, when you delve particularly into their methods section, you immediately switch out of nowhere into this incredibly standard methodology that is absolutely grounded in the tradition of systematic reviewing. I'm picking that paper that specifically describes itself in 2017 as a literature review, not a systematic review, a literature review. And it describes purpose. It describes how they use their initial reading and explorations to inform. Um, and interestingly, it gives a digest in this particular paper as to why it doesn't see itself as systematic. And to quote the, uh, the paper, this is the um, uh, um, paper in medical education in December 2017, published What Do We Know About Coaching and Medical Education by Ben Lavelle. I, I think this is a phenomenal section uh, in the methods, which I think really um, uh, is, is worth mentioning. Uh, and to quote him directly, he says... 
Um, initial reading of the literature revealed that many coaching investigations are smaller scale than exploratory and hence are too limited to provide a rich substrate for a synthetic analysis, so I think they mean synthesis, or systematic review. Literature reviews have been criticised for vulnerability to bias. Well, I clearly agree with that because I've discussed that today. Yet are accepted as an appropriate platform to launch new evidence-generating inquiries. Um, Okay. The research question was kept deliberately broad and open. What do we currently know about coaching interventions? Uh, after it had been determined, the research protocol was divided. This included search strategy, inclusion, exclusion, methods of analysing papers, and attributing a quality store. So I have a question to Ben. I have a question to the listeners of this podcast. Why is this not a systematic review? For what basis does the author's uh, concern that the openness of a question and the limitations of the studies which he describes in his own words as small scale and exploratory which genuinely i'm not entirely sure as to why that limits the uh, synthesis analysis and why does that negate the use of a systematic review more importantly when you then follow through his methods he has the use of specific databases to find evidence he uses search terms which are clearly defined using boolean searching which you could synthesize and replicate yourself he describes clearly that to broaden the scope he hand searched specific journals uh, he talks about how discrepancies were resolved by returning between uh, extraction were resolved by returning to the original paper for a collaborative discussion he describes how many Papers were found, and he even gives a figure which is in alignment with the PRISMA reporting guidelines for systematic reviews. So my question is, why is this not a systematic review? And have we not confused in our assumption or understanding that systematic review describes a specific type of review with a tradition in Cochrane that actually... That is all that systematic reviewing is. And in actual fact, I would challenge Ben, I would challenge readers of his fantastic paper, uh, the readers of medical education and the listeners of this podcast, that this was a systematic review. This was a systematic review that if you go through using the Prisma checklist, was of very high quality. If you go through using the story statement, my own story statement, which is a checklist for reporting health education review, it, it, it is of high quality. Um, it is rigorous, it is transparent and it is um, reproducible. And I think by not calling itself a systematic review, actually, you have not communicated that to me as a, as a reader or, or to the wider um, audience out there. And, and I can see why it's been done. I'm, I'm inferring why it's been done. And I don't agree. Uh, I think maybe at this point, listeners may be getting um, a sense that I do have some strong views on this. Um, and I'm also mindful this is a one-sided discussion, so you can't respond directly now, but I would love to see those responses through one form or another, uh, and hopefully in a future podcast, which um, listeners may actually join into, or possibly a roundtable discussion at some point. I'm going to give another example. Here's another review from Medical Education. Uh, this is a review that was published um, uh, online on the 30th of March, already a few weeks ago, uh, having only been accepted in February. Uh, it is in Medical Education. It's stakeholder uh, views of rural community-based medical education, a narrative review of the international literature. So now we're into this narrative review, another form of review. And I'm going straight to the methods. 
The reason I'm going straight to the methods is you're going to find a similarity here. Recent literature was examined for original research between 1970 and 2016. OK, I'm not sure necessarily 1970 is a recent, since my understanding from uh, attending a very nice workshop a while ago was that when one examines the actual field, 1970 was the earliest that medical education was its own field in, in the literature. But never mind. The PubMed and Medline database was searched using the following terms. They've defined the terms. Initial search, duplicate articles and articles written in other languages were removed. Abstracts were then included if they referred to original research, etc., etc. Um, it gives the inclusion criteria, explicit exclusion criteria. Full texts were reviewed only if they had the following in. The papers included at this stage were reviewed with the aim of identifying additional papers. Details of the search are in Fig 1. Fig 1 is in full alignment with Prisma and cites itself as being in full alignment with Prisma as well as the CAS Critical Appraisal Skills Programme reporting guidelines. Do you see my point? My point is that, that at no point do either of these reviews... Uh, align themselves with a tradition of systematic reviewing that you can clearly tell I feel adds value and is important for the field and actually justifies the tremendous hard work they put in and when they get into the devil of their methodology actually they are aligned with what I define as a systematic methodology and I'm not sure why they don't want to define themselves in that way outside of my own inference. If we move over to academic medicine, we're seeing the same pattern. Uh, there's a piece published again in March, already a few weeks ago. Are we on the same page? Shared mental models to support clinical teamwork and health professionals, a scoping review. Um, and similar pattern. At the minute we get into the detail of their methodology, you've got very similar, very prisma or story statement aligned methodology, specific databases, specific inclusion criteria, exclusion criteria, dates of searching, what, how they sifted through, how they made sure that this was systematic. Two reviewers screened studies. Why on earth would we do that in any reason other than to be systematic, uh, to reduce bias? Um, I, 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 again, I'm happy to accept this, and, and I suppose this comes to a secondary argument that may be made against why systematic review is not mentioned, and that is that scoping or narrative review in themselves are a, a unique form of review. Um, I will accept that. I'm happy that if you want to align with realist review, scoping review, narrative review, that's fine. But I still think in the methodology there needs to be an acceptance, a mention of the underlying research paradigm you have aligned with and that, that scoping or narrative methodology that you have accepted does have its underpinnings within a systematic approach that is transparent, reproducible, that does meet these criteria. And the reason you must do this is, as we've seen with Realist Review, and I'll, I'll uh, send listeners to podcast number two from BME, which was a fantastic talk with Jeff Wong about Realist Review, which I keep sending people back to because I think it's fantastic. He's amazing. and I love hearing him talk. Um, the, the, and I wrote about it in medical education not a couple of years ago, that, that Realist Review is the fool's gold uh, of reviewing because people see it as so uh, shiny and new and offering what they need, but in actual fact, methodologically so challenging to, to, to achieve. Um, in its own tradition, the, these are right, these are fine, but you need to be clear that you have applied them correctly. And the danger with Realist Review, Scoping Review, Narrative Review is for every single piece that is published in in alignment with their true tradition, which does have a systematic underpinning. And it's really the synthesis method that is defined by that title. Realist ultimately is a synthesis method. Scoping is a synthesis method. Uh, and in turn, it, it guides your search. And narrative is definitely a synthesis method. I would also describe narrative review as descriptive review as defined by David Cook's primary research um, 
uh, sort of criteria published in 2009 with the medical education. I think that's just a good way of aligning. But, but they can be deployed in a non-systematic fashion. And in doing so, what you end up with is a scoping literature review or a narrative literature review or a realist literature review as opposed to a systematic review. And so that is why even if the word systematic is not used in the title, I think it's very important within the methods that the authors understand these issues, as I'm sure many do, but explicitly state them to the readers and state where they view this work and where they have tried to align it with. Because ultimately, from what I'm describing to you and seeing on this random recent sample of reviews, is that often they are aligning themselves with this clearly systematic underpinning to their methods and to that tradition. Uh, And I think the systematic term, uh, when we consider it from a rhetoric perspective, uh, is a powerful persuasive language that for reasons I uh, am clearly out of line with my colleagues on, um, in fact is being understood to persuade people to a tradition that they do not want to be linked to. Uh, And I think this is something that needs to change because I think we are losing more than we're gaining. And, and at that point, uh, I'm going to stop. Uh, clearly, there's a lot of ideas that I feel. I've tried to make a persuasive argument. Uh, I'm hoping listeners have found it interesting. I would be extremely interested to hear your thoughts back. Uh, there's several ways you can do it. I'm always happy to hear directly from you, mgordon at uclan.ac.uk. Similarly, you can email us at beamy at dundee.ac.uk or obviously respond with your comments below. Um, you can also tweet us at beamy. Uh, always happy to hear from you or you can tweet me at Dr Morris Gordon uh, I would love to hear from you uh, even if I don't hear from you this is a, a discussion that we will continue to engage with and hopefully we will revisit and I promise you that the next time I present this as a podcast I will not be here in isolation we will have other viewpoints and I will be very interested to see how the discussion goes at that point but for now goodbye and we hope to have you visit again soon